Blog Talk Radio. another segment of Point Counterpoint, where I'm joined by uh, Barners McCarthy to, uh, I guess, my Lennon. We talked about that once, Kelly. You're the nice one. People like you. And they, they don't now. really like me a whole lot. They, they don't. Uh, well, no, maybe they do. I don't know. They like you, though. You're nice. We do what we can. Right. <laughs> okay, well, wait a second. You were once warned not to hang out with me. I was. I was, and, and I gave it careful consideration and decided that nobody would believe I was actually that nice anyway, so I might as well go ahead and, and leverage any shadow of doubt that associating with you creates. So in other words, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I don't know why I even started that. See, that's the beauty of this show is there's no real format on it. It's just our, our ramblings and musings. We do, we do have a topic today. Procurement and social media. Is it a pairing made in heaven or the other place? And I and not that I wrote it myself, but I did, but it, it's like I thought that was kind of a witty opening line. What do you think? Well, and it gives us an interesting way to sort of approach the topic because it, it takes something very sort of big and cloudy and breaks it down into sort of a binary good or bad. How does this relate to procurement and what we're trying to accomplish? Okay, so you know what, and, 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 and I know we live in equal society, and men and women are equal, and I believe all that. I mean, I still open the door for ladies, but I always believe in, in, in ladies first, women first. I don't know, I mean, is that... It's not going to bother me. So this is a topic that we've talked about uh, a whole bunch. Uh, so let me give you sort of where I'm coming to the topic from. I'll, I'll take the, the ladies first in. Um, so social media can be looked at in terms of, of two different ways. The first is looking at it in terms of the connections that it allows between people. But the other way that it can be looked at is as a source of very current, very dynamic information. And I think for procurement, there are advantages on both sides. And in the past, the majority of the people in the profession, I believe, have been hesitant to share too much. There's been more listening going on. But I think even to the extent that we've been listening, there's more that we can do. And I'm looking at this from sort of a supply market intelligence standpoint, that looking at not only what suppliers communicate about the industry or relevant topics um, or what they want you to know about themselves and their offering, certainly that's a source of information, but it's also a source of information of what other people are saying about them. And if we look at it as another source of information that can be pulled in, whether it's a supplier assessment or making a decision between suppliers earlier in the competitive process, Procurement has a huge opportunity 
to do almost like an HR pre-screen with suppliers. So anybody that has changed jobs in the last five or so years knows to expect that all of their social media profiles, the professional ones like LinkedIn as well as the more informal ones like Facebook, are sort of free game for prospective employers. And it's considered fairly standard for people to take a look at this before they, before they hire someone. Um, and I think procurement actually has a similar obligation. If we are functioning in a role as a matchmaker where we're trying to help the organization connect their needs with a supply partner, and if there's going to be an actual relationship there, I think there should be less sort of direct reported information from suppliers, either in the form of an RFI or an RFP, and more, us going out and doing searching on our own. And that doesn't mean that if there are questions, we can't directly go back to the supplier. But I think the burden of the legwork should probably rest a little bit more in procurement's court than it does today maybe a little more in the suppliers, and we just sort of read the responses that they send us. I think this is where we can take a big step up in terms of what we're allowing social media to do. Okay. Now, can you hear me, by the way? I can. I had lost you for a minute earlier, but I can hear you. Okay. Okay. So so how you start it, how you start it, is that, and again, and, and just listening to what you had said, because uh, I lost you a little bit there as well. Technology is wonderful. But you focused on the fact is how, how, how social media can facilitate the relationship uh, between a company through the buyer with the supplier. I mean, that's really what you're talking about, and that the smart companies are going to use it as a tool. I mean, is that a, is that a, is that a fair brief synopsis of what you said? Very fair. Okay, so now I'm looking at this, and I'm going I'm to throw a curveball into there. One of the things that, that I wrote in a post today on Procurement Insights was is that the suggestion is that tech-savvy Generation Next Procurement Pros, as they move into more dominant roles, and the dinosaurs of yesterday move on. And this isn't just, you know, this isn't my term. We talked about this last time, you know, where, you know, there's a general consensus there with different people like Kate Fantastic, et cetera. Social media's influence on corporate purchasing will be on a par with buying activities in the consumer base. I mean, traditionally, I think some people, when they think about social media, when they think about B2B, when they think about all of these avenues, uh, they're very much the traditional buyers are very much looking at as being, well, if I use any social media, if I use any connection, if I buy anything off Amazon.com, uh, you know, that's not really corporate, that's consumer. Is it safe to say that the distinction between consumer buyer and corporate buyer is becoming more and more blurred and eventually will assimilate into, into a single reality once the next generation next people come to full force? Yes, you can. And there's actually two things that, that back that up. Nice try with the curveball, by the way. So the first thing that backs that up Wait, is Wait, is it that, what curveball? Wait, sorry, what curveball? Oh, you said you were going to throw me a curveball. I'm going to get up earlier in the morning, John, if you're going to try a curveball on me. So, okay, so, what's it really, so you're thing, calling me pathetic. You're calling me pathetic. No, no, I'm saying good game, but next time, you know. Anyway, right. I'm I'm ready for the topic. So... Okay. I think on the one hand, we have the evolving role of Amazon in the marketplace. Previously, like we're looking back at 2012, 2013, 
there was thought that then Amazon Supply was actually going to present a challenge to some of the e-procurement vendors already in the space. And as it turns out, they're not going to present a challenge so much on the spend management side as they are going to replace some of the existing marketplace functionality that had been built out. But the more of a role Amazon business, as they're called today, plays, the higher the user interface and the usability expectations are. So that's, that's sort of the first thing where I think you're right, that the lines are going to blur. The second thing is that there's actually a fantastic team of researchers at Wake Forest Business School that are doing research into just this, interviewed a whole bunch of procurement pros, and they deliberately are looking at them, are you baby boomer, are you Gen X, are you millennial? And they found that, yes, there are differences between the generations, but those differences aren't necessarily what you would expect them to be. So, for instance, millennials are far more likely to go out into their network online or out into some sort of online community or rating service, a dedicated rating service, to collect information from suppliers. And I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. What might be more surprising is that they are less likely to continue considering a supplier that has received negative feedback. So you could take a whole bunch of buyers at different places in their career and expose them to negative online feedback about a supplier, and they don't respond to it the same way. Boomers and Gen Xers are more likely to say, interesting, it's a piece of information. We're going to factor that in. We're going to do more research. Millennials are far more likely to say, this company is no longer qualified. We red flag them. We have real concerns, and they need to be removed from consideration. And I have to think that those track pretty closely to their personal consumer habits. Well, let's draw some numbers in here, and this is an interesting thing, and, and, and referring to an article that appeared in social media today. And what they were saying, and the article was, was saying that, you know, organizations, you know, time, it's time companies sort of put more emphasis on their social media strategy. So here's some things. Four in ten social media users have purchased an item online or in-store after sharing it or making it as a favorite on Twitter, Facebook, or Pinterest. Seventy-eight percent of respondents said that companies' social media posts impact their purchases, and 71% of consumers are likely to purchase an item based on social media referrals. So now, th this brings in a couple of interesting ideas there, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through proprietary versus open market and Wild West. ThomasNet, you know, they, .com, they've introduced what they called, and, and, and maybe even expand this a little bit more, you know, uh, Perfect Commerce with their perfect net of suppliers and Ariba with their supplier base. You know, everyone's got these suppliers, right? But in, in reality, given that, that, that the, the social media referrals – is this the death knell for the, the, the Thomas Nets or the, the, the proprietary systems? Because you're not going to necessarily get the feedback to the same degree you will on the open market. Conversely, and this is drawing maybe the generational line, conversely, is there going to be a fear factor, or what I call FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, that if you go outside of these safe networks, uh, that you're into the Wild West and you can't rely on anyone? Do, do you know what I'm saying? I do, and I and, and our generation, and sorry, and are 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 these traditional uh, supplier networks 
And again, I apologize for interrupting, but are these traditional supplier networks more in line with the older generation and the Wild West, which isn't so wild if you're comfortable with it, uh, more aligned with the newer generation? Where are you likely to get the best answers? So I think I can I can answer it with a question, and I think what it's going to come down to is, you know, right now millennials we're feeling their presence, we're feeling sort of their priority shift, but most of them don't yet have enough experience, enough time under their belts to maybe submit as much feedback as they consume. So right now, one of the factors that continues to be an issue is that while someone may go on to Amazon and say, oh, I hated these boots, I loved this train, I thought this is this home decor, professionally, there's concerns about liability when you're submitting either positive or negative feedback about suppliers online. And so procurement, as I had mentioned in the very beginning, tends to be more of a listener than a speaker when it comes to this feedback. I think the question will be, as millennials have enough time in procurement to be in the position to provide either negative or positive feedback about suppliers online, will they share more than their more experienced counterpoints? Because I think until they really start to share more, there's going to continue to be an important role for the formal marketplaces, for the Thomas Net type solutions, because that is going to be a place where people feel safe knowing if you're not going to get much feedback, you'd better make sure that the feedback that you're incorporating is legitimate and, and vetted. Okay, 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 but now 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 this is the thing. Okay, now is is that betting? Are I guess this is where you say the value is with Tom, and I'm using them as an example. Thomas said, and again, all these supplier networks. And you know, they have their issues. They've always been some issues and, and fee association, etc. But the the vetting is presumed within those networks, um, and it saves the buyer from having to do the vetting themselves. That that's. That's really the, the, the thinking there. So are you more secure within those frameworks then? I mean, are, 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 are you saying that those supply networks are vetted and as a result they're more reliable than if you were to go out and build your own sourcing platform within your own sourcing company? I think it's you know a presumption that they are vetted. I do know what you're saying. And I think – you know, there's, there's a couple different variables here. You know, part of it is, is it positive or negative feedback, right? Because that changes how you interact with the information. And then the other thing that does change it is, did the positive or negative feedback come from an internal or an external source? And again, this is coming from some of what I've learned in talking to the Wake Forest team. And I think that when you are looking at these external sites, like a ThomasNet, if you're going to cause negative information that you have found from someone you do not know to eliminate a supplier from contention when maybe otherwise either their solution or the price associated with it would be advantageous to keep them in, you have to be certain that you're acting on good information. And I think for the time being, still going to be a lot of value associated with something coming from um, a, a source like that that's not just sort of thrown open wide someplace in social media, someplace on the Internet. So what are you saying, a hybrid of both? In other words, checks and balances? Like, for example, um, if you become – give me an idea. There's a major retailer out of Minneapolis, and they called in years ago, 
And they said, do an analysis. We had done a vendor compression strategy. We've got this streamlined group. It's very good. And I'm not going off on a tangent with vendor compression. And it did an analysis and found that they were paying 23% above the going market rate, largely because they confined themselves to a single group of suppliers or strategy. I mean, are, so if you get locked into a particular vendor group, are you ultimately going to lose touch with reality of what's going on in the marketplace? How how adept are these 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 let's call them private supplier networks? Uh, how how adept are they at at maintaining uh, you know good value and bringing in new suppliers, taking out old suppliers? I mean, can they really do it better than you? I think, and you make a valid point. I think the important thing is. No one network or marketplace, whatever sort of terminology they're using, should be looked at as your available source market. So I think not only should you go outside of whatever marketplace or network you're buying within, you should try to hit several. Um, And the extent to which you have access to them, that helps you compare and contrast potentially even information about the same suppliers. But I think the smart providers have figured out over time, and I recently, we're talking about Amazon Business, had a conversation with Donna Wilczek at at Coupa about the role that they're playing and whether or not something like an integrated Amazon Business platform competes against Coupa's own internal supplier network. I think if they can be smart and look at it as being more about the connections they facilitate than about the suppliers that get chosen in the end. I think there are far less limitations from a buyer's side than there are if a network or a platform or whoever it happens to be is concerned with trying to contain you to the suppliers that have already been, you know, quote-unquote, approved within their system. Okay, so so now you see, and I haven't even gone into the realms of buying groups. See, I think buying groups, like a corporate united, I think buying groups make more sense to a certain degree because you're not really dealing with somebody's locked-in network per se. Is is like you're not making as part of a a software application. That's why I think ThomasNet is closer to a buying group more than anything else. Whereas you look at the vendor networks with the Reba, etc., they're tied into that particular application, and you only have access to them through the uh, through that actual solution. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Am I wrong on that? I don't believe you are. Okay, so here's the point. Here's the point that, and ThomasNet is open, just like, uh, although, you know, Corporate United. And now, buying groups, and I want to get too far off here, but, you know, so what's the evolutionary process here? You deal with the vendor, you you get their solution, you're locked into their supplier network. We know that Ariba admitted when they launched, and, you know, we talked about this. Uh, Ariba admitted when they were building their supplier network, uh, you know, executives within that, and I've written about this, that they said, well, we couldn't really build it. We knew it wasn't possible, but Wall Street was rewarding for us. So we said, sure, heck, why not? We'll go in that direction. I mean, like, how do we measure the the, the, the differences and, and, the, and the return on value of this if it's part of a supplier software package, if we're on social media? And I'm talking about being able to go out and use social media and reach and build up your own supplier base and all of these things. Do you know what, what I'm saying? It's like, is there... Is there a way to have a combination? Can somebody who has an Ariba solution and deal with that vendor network, do they have the ability to go outside of that network? Do they have the ability to go to a buy a, 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 a group uh, a purchasing organization like a corporate United? Do they have the ability to go out on the Wild West 
and say, look, you know what, we've got these vendors here that are part of this network, but, you know, if we go out and do this, I mean, we can find a better job. Because remember, some places, Maverick Purchasing, it, you know, I remember the, 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 the power transmission group in the automotive industry, they did a study, and 39% of all purchasers were off contract, 79% in Canada were off contract. I mean, buyers tended to, at least in the past, have the inclination to go for a better deal if they knew it on their own experience, but were, you know, had their hands slapped. So, you know, I mean, like, are we, are we going to be able to see that freedom to be able to pursue from the corporate mindset, pursue the open wild west market that the social media world provides? I think regardless of whether or not you have access to a, a network or a marketplace, and it's, your alternatives are going to vary by category because, you know, not all categories of spend are, are going to be effectively managed through something like a GPO. But I think procurement's job is to go out and find all of these things. And I think this is exactly an example of the type of broadening mindset we've been advocating is that it's not just about finding the suppliers, finding alternate suppliers that can provide you with the exact same thing for better contract terms or, or three cents less per part. I think it's about finding the channels through which you can access them. And there are different either technology integration type benefits or relationship type benefits associated with each purchasing channel in addition to each of the supplier partners that you could potentially work with. And I think our role, albeit this muddies the waters, is to qualify as many of these options as we can despite the fact that they are no longer going to be apples to apples comparisons where we can make it sort of a, a, a quantitative decision as to which supplier is the right one to go with. I think they're doing okay, okay, to be but wait a second, wait more a second, subjective wait a decisions. Sorry to interrupt, but I mean, like what you're talking about is going f- from uh, going into a certain amount of subject uh, subjective decision making here that corporations, governments have been loath to do. They basically said, "We've implemented a, we have this list of approved suppliers. We will bring on more suppliers, but they don't provide the buyers with the ability to do that on a fly. Like they're, you know, they're sole sourcing, they're special sourcing. There's certain triggers for it, but most most organizations have frowned upon, honestly." haven't they, using these mediums? I mean, like, like you know, it, it, their strategy has been the antithesis of, 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 of using social media to its fullest capacity. I mean, I would say that the biggest problem isn't at the buyer level. I'd say the biggest problem is at the corporate mandate level. I mean, that's what I think. I think they, they, that buyers have traditionally had their hands cuffed, and, uh, you know, even the ones who would venture outside of that scope uh, I mean, that's the whole thing of Maverick buying, isn't it? Well, it is. And, of course, increasingly, buying activity is taking place outside of procurement, whereas that used to be a little bit more confined. We would look at the suppliers, put the contracts in place, and then we were processing all of the buying, whereas now that's happening in a more distributed fashion. You know, and I think, there again, it depends on industry. I mean, there are major things going on within travel spend management, for instance, where there's a company that has a solution they call open bookings. And the whole idea is that you don't necessarily confine everybody to the traditional narrow way of booking and where can you stay and how can you handle it, that maybe the Maverick spend 
is not so much an indication that there's a problem with the people doing the buying as it is an indication that there wasn't a good fit between the objectives of the organization for that category of spend and the procurement people putting the supplier relationships and contracts in place. So some of these categories of spend are sort of becoming a slightly regulated wild, wild west. Okay, so yeah, but 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 again, and, and listen to what you're saying. The categories, I mean, ultimately and usually, the buyers were never, ever, ever involved in terms of. of I remember we that article about the the, the CPO agenda one, where the executives got together with the roundtable and they said things like the best people to run a purchasing department are those who don't come from a purchasing background. That the purchasing people were rarely like one talked about joining Nestle. And in the past on expenditures, they, they were part of the selection process with Nestle. They were basically said as a buyer, here's what you're buying, that's it. I mean, like, you know, I mean, that's the prevalence that still exists to a certain degree with corporations. Or has corporations changed? I haven't seen it change that much. I think the problem is when that's your approach, that's almost like um, investing in, in that expense. Taking that hard line of approach, taking a mandated, really hard top-down, you're asking people, you're almost giving them the authority to go against what you put in place because you haven't considered their wants and needs. And if Wait, you so don't are you do saying, that, are you saying it's like telling your child, don't take that cookie, and by telling them don't take that cookie, they're going to take it because you're telling them they can't? You're talking about the forbidden fruit type of you're scenario? You're them to be good at sneaking. So, so then... Is it safe to say, and going back to that generational question, I mean, so John, I'll just sort of pick up here on the generational question, and you holler if you get back online. I think. You know, in addition to their willingness to share, one of the things that you and I have long talked about is that the millennial tolerance for risk, and again, I think we need more time for this to really emerge. Millennial tolerance for risk is going to play a huge role here. Um, Ironically, they're showing some risk-averse behavior by being so unwilling to incorporate online negative supplier reviews or or at least the suppliers associated with those reviews in in their work. Um, and so over time, we're going to get to see does their either risk aversion or maybe indifference to risk, how does that cause them to change how they interact with the people that are actually in that buyer role who have the wants and needs and who are either going to be brought into the fold through no doubt difficult effort or ultimately become the maverick buyers in the company. Okay, I got. I have to say this. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the thing. I think that in a lot of cases we're stuck at the starting gate because corporate decision makers, quite frankly, are, are, are beltless suspenders, too scared to make a move in the future, and to give that kind of autonomy on the front lines. 
I think we're on a collision course of a movable object and irresistible force because the up-and-coming generation, unlike the older generation, and, and I, I mean, we're talking about the older generation who believe the government is here to help you. You know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry, government workers. I'm not criticizing you. That's an old saying. You know that old saying, so no nasty letters. But the younger generation is likely to look and say, no, we're not going to follow the status quo if we know it to be wrong. Now, either you change corporations or we're going to move because they, they change jobs every two to three years. Generation Next has no fear about changing jobs. I mean, is that going to bring about the forced change that, 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 that's actually going to position companies to give the autonomy to take advantage of social media? Because if that doesn't change, it doesn't really matter. Social media is, is, an, is, is a non-starter. Or am I just completely off my rocker? No, no, I, I think that it may. And I think part of it has to do with the idea of being willing to consider information gathered through social media as valid data that influences a decision. And it's never going to influence it in a vacuum. It needs to be factored in with other information. Um, but I do think we've gotten to the point where it has proven itself valuable on a number of cases, and we need to be more willing to go out and pursue it and collect that information and make sure that that gets incorporated in any kind of evaluation that we're doing. Okay, so here's the thing. So is it, is it reasonable to say that it was a fair factor on the part of corporations? Let's talk about the, the vendor solution. We're going through a major change here. Uh, Cloud-based SaaS solutions, plug-and-play, ready to go within weeks and days versus the other way of doing things. Are we, and you know, the costs associated with vendor plug-in models and access to database and everything like that, are we getting to an, a stage where a lot of this fear factor was fanned, the fame, the, the, if I can say this, let's see, the, the, the flames of fear were fanned. See, I could say that. Three times fast, not so sure. But the, 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 the fear uh, was, was actually instilled by a lot of the vendors themselves because they had a virtual private network or they had a, a supply network that was part of their solution. And so what they did is they made everyone afraid to go outside of that. Now that the new solutions are coming on board, the cloud-based solutions, you know, they don't really it, – it's like they have immediate onboarding capability. They have speed of onboarding. There isn't this process in there that, that, that was before. I mean, is a lot of that now going to change because the vendors are changing, that they're not using the fear, uncertainty, and doubt FUD approach uh, to lock a client mindset in the fact that if they go out into this wild west, which I don't think is the wild west, by the way, uh, I have to think that, that, that buyers have the capability and some gray matter that they can decide and have a certain amount of autonomy on the front lines. Is, is that going to change the, 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 the accelerated use of social media? Or do you think, do you think that, gee, the, the old-time vendors you know, are, are going to embrace this? I think it has more to do with procurement just thinking about it differently. And I think maybe this is where there's the biggest difference between people who have been around for a little while and people coming up that, and I'll include myself in this, we think of it as being very siloed. There's where I go online socially or personally, and there's where I go online professionally while I'm at the office. And I think the difference is millennials are more likely to see it as what, what kind of content channel. Is it visual? Is it audio? Is it video? Is it written? What, what type of length, what depth of content am I getting access to? And so I think for a lot of them, they are going to start with the channels that they're familiar with, and it's going to present a huge opportunity 
regardless of what any of the solution providers do, to not only bring in a fresh or different source of information, but also to bring ourselves a little bit better into alignment with some of the changes that are being seen on the supplier business development or marketing side. I think there's been a realization on the... Sorry to interrupt, but here's here's the thing that came across my mind in terms of as we're talking, is that if that is indeed the case of what you're saying and what I'm suggesting, I mean, that's a big revenue uh, loss for certain suppliers who have these supplier networks because they do charge fees. They do charge fees for onboarding suppliers. They do charge fees to the suppliers to go through their network with the promise of getting access to all these, these licensees. I mean, it, I mean, like, you know, no one wants to be locked in anymore, right? Uh, I mean, we're seeing increased churn levels with a lot of companies looking for alternatives. So, you know, if you look at that, if you, if you look at that, I mean, that's that's lost. That's a big chunk of lost revenue, isn't it, for some of the traditional vendors, and I'll call them traditional vendors. That means that they're not going to necessarily embrace social media. They may try to corral it themselves and, and mark it up to the buyer. But generally speaking, isn't that isn't that part of isn't that part of a potential fear factor of that loss of revenue that can act as a stumbling block or roadblock? But I think. And, and there, again, it's very important you bringing that fear back into it. I think if you are operating, if your auto operating model is based on fear of having to change from what you've done in the past, it is blinding you to opportunities to perhaps even generate a greater revenue stream by doing something in a newer way, by looking at solutions in a different way. And I think, yeah, if, if you get locked into this whole thing that we can't make our business model work unless we continue to charge all of these people to interact through a network, you're going to have trouble because more information is becoming available and it's becoming easier, even through things like different types of rating sites where you can get information about suppliers. Those alternates are popping up all the time, and they have an incentive to make themselves easy to integrate. So I think sure, are some traditional providers going to feel uncomfortable about this? Probably. But I don't know, I think in this case maybe discomfort is the mother of invention. Um, And hopefully feeling that will make them realize this is something that we are moving away from. This tide is not going to be stemmed and we need to start looking at other things that are more desirable to our user base to supplant this as a way we derive revenue. Okay, so at, at the end of the and see, this is the thing that ties it all back. Uh, there was a study that was conducted that said corporate buyers want to have in the office the same user experience they have when they go home at night and, and buy something online as a consumer. They don't understand why one has to be different from the other. I mean, I think that's a driving force in that regard. I mean, I, I think, the, you know, this is the standard because once you can do it at home, and if you're doing it for yourself and doing it for yourself personally, I think you're going to be more inclined to even be more uh, uh, scrutinizing because, you know, it's a personal purchase. I mean, so, you know, if you're comfortable with using that for personal purchases, I mean, the logic would be to use social media and have the freedom to go out there outside of these networks, having a, a cloud-based platform with quick onboarding, but leaving, and this is a corporate decision as much as it is a technical capability, a corporate decision to give you the autonomy to do that, I think, you know, you're, you're going to get more production out of there if you are able to merge into providing the tools that give you that, that access to the Wild West on your own 
independent of the vendor solution rather than going to the vendor saying, would you build me a supplier network or, or I have a supplier network and I'm going to charge you so much to use it. Do, do you know what I'm saying? I do, and I think the key to that being possible, because there's no doubt that there are many, many buyers, and even procurement groups that would like that, I think the, the sort of linchpin to that being viable is making sure that opening those channels doesn't create disproportionate risk for the organization, because that's not worth it either. Okay, I understand that. I understand that. But but uh, is, it, is it safe to say, to a certain degree, that, and, and I'll use this, you know, going back to, you know, the, the CPO roundtable where they said the best person to run or people to run a procurement department or purchasing department is someone who doesn't come from purchasing. I mean, I always took that as an insult, by the way. You know, it's like we're not idiots in the procurement field. I mean, really, are we? No, I mean, I'm asking you. I'm not objective, but I wouldn't say we're idiots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Okay, so that's a qualified you're not idiots. That, that's a good thing. Thank you, Kelly. I feel better about myself now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> look, look, I mean, it's no one goes into work to say I want to do a bad job. And if you don't have the confidence in giving somebody the autonomy within the framework and monitoring proper management, uh, but, but if, if you don't feel free to give somebody the autonomy to be able to take full advantage of, of, of the social network, maybe your bigger problem is that, you know, if you don't have that confidence, maybe you're not hiring the right people. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Maybe, maybe you're, you, you know, you're, 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 you know, hiring from the shallow end of the talent pool in terms of buyers. If you don't have enough confidence in them to give them that autonomy, to be able to go and find the best deal for you. I mean, isn't that what a buyer is all about? Isn't that their job to be able to, to, to find the best deals, do it within the framework of what's required, and create communication so that they're involved in the whole process rather I than give them marching so. orders? What's that? Yeah, but I also think it's perhaps why there's a very valid point to be taken from the roundtable in that – if you've been on the losing end, satisfactory-wise, around a procurement process, and you find yourself in procurement, you're going to understand how important it is to fix that if it still exists. And if you've always been in procurement and you've never been on sort of the consumer end of the experience inside the company, it's not that you don't want to fix it. It's you have not personally experienced the discomfort of what is going wrong. And so I think that's the nice thing about an increased flow in and out of companies, right, that people will have had these diverse experiences, and it will give them something to bring to the table right off the bat and saying, let's make sure this doesn't happen. Do you know how bad that is when it occurs? Because they've been on the losing end of a broken process, and they can make sure it's not happening. Okay, but this is interesting. The broken process about which you are talking is usually people-based and poor management and poor collaboration and poor communication. I mean, that's really what it is, isn't it? But it can also be at the connection point where technology is functioning as it was designed to function, but it's not a good match to what people are actually doing. So there's still a role of technology in there and it needing to be set up right. In, in other words, the technology has to adapt to the people rather than the people adapting to the technology. But the, the technology provides a framework of operation, but it shouldn't be so constraining as to not reflect how people work in the, in, in the real world. I mean, that's what you're saying. It is, because the people putting the technology in place and making whatever kind of setup or configuration decisions, they have to have an accurate understanding of 
how it's going to be used and what sorts of problems it needs to be able to be flexible enough to address. Okay. Well, here's, here's what I say, and then I'll give you the last word. Here's what I say. I say that, that, that social media has a great deal of promise to connect with a broader range of suppliers. Uh, I say that we have to empower the buyers to give them the autonomy to leverage that to its full advantage within a properly managed framework of which there is collaboration throughout the entire internal chain before you get out to the external chain. I, and until that, that, that is established and until we, we, we move away from from the way of doing things in the past of trying to create hard and rigid rules within the framework of a let's say a supplier network uh, that is, is is dictating who you buy from rather than providing you with reference points that you can then add and keep vibrant I, I think that, 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 that social media will never be utilized to its fullest potential I think one of the biggest hurdles is is that the older vendors have to get the heck out of the way and get out of the vendor business. I think they have to offer access and platforms that make it easy to uh, onboard vendors. This nonsense of charging uh, vendors to participate in a, in a, in a, in, a, in a closed network. I, I I have a problem with that. I, I you know, and, and I'm not the only one. This is nothing new to you. Uh, and and I also think that the licensing fees to have those kind of networks are ridiculous. I don't think that a software vendor has the ability to make the right decisions as to which suppliers are right for you. And any companies that license are taking the easy way out because they don't want to do the work themselves. They, they don't want to build up their own supplier network. They just want to jump on to somebody else and say, it's not our responsibility. What do you think of that? So I think the vibrancy that you referred to is really what creates the biggest opportunity for procurement. Because any of these channels, with all of its combined strengths and weaknesses, is a single channel. And I think as long as we can clearly see each approach for what it is and what comes with it and understand whether it's complications of charging to be part of a network or whether it's maybe the dubious validity of of information about a supplier online where we're not personally familiar with the source, I think bringing as much of that together as possible and creating a greater number of total qualified options is what presents procurement with the best opportunity to accomplish more than we've done in the past. So in other words, you agree with me? This is where we always end. (laughs) I should just start each of these sessions by saying, I disagree. Well, yeah, but, but so you agree that that's really the way to do it. So existing vendors get the hell out of the supplier business. Get out of it, provide a supplier platform in which onboarding is easy. Thus, you know, you remove that, that false crutch or illusion of having a solid network and empower internally, let the, the organizations empower their buyers uh, through, through internal collaboration and communication to build their own networks. In other words, you're giving them a blank slate and you're saying build it. Or if you already have suppliers on there, you say here's a starting point for some suppliers. You can use them or not. Stop yeah, monetizing if you the supply have, network. If you have a network in place that you're already leveraging, consider that one way to find suppliers, not the only way to find suppliers. Yeah, but what if you're paying a huge license fee, a prohibitive license fee to have that? I don't think it should be a fee or a module that you have to pay for a supplier network. But it's not always 
I guess when we're talking about social media, a lot of times procurement can pivot on a project-by-project basis faster than you can change something like a pre-existing license. So I'm thinking about it from a hands-on perspective. So if you have a network in place and you're paying a ton of money, the next time that comes up for renewal, it's our job to do a good job of figuring out whether or not we've gotten the value we expected to get out of any solution, ours or otherwise. But in the short term, even if you have that, you still owe it to yourself and to the company to put what's coming through that channel in the context of what's available through other channels as well. See, so what you're talking about is a graduated or gradual transition of your supply network that reflects you more and not putting in the hand of a vendor solution or a license package. That's really what you're talking about. Automatically moving towards autonomy. And now, now again, and just as an aside, this is going to cut out a, a lot of revenue streams for some vendors out there. They're not going to be happy with it, but they have to change. I mean, that's the reality of the cloud uh, world that we're dealing in, isn't it? Well, and I think maybe the thing about this graduated approach is that let's be fair and say that the networks have the ability to compete on the, the blank slate with all the other options, and who knows, maybe at the end of the day it will work out. Um, I don't think we should assume autonomy is the way to go any more than we should assume that pre-established networks are not. I think we need to be willing on a case-by-case basis to compare these things against each other and then at the higher level or the longer-term level, look at where it makes sense to invest money on an ongoing basis. So now you need – but the graduated uh, transition, and I know what you're saying. If I understand correctly, you're saying don't let the pendulum swing too far to autonomy because too much freedom is a bad thing. Uh, I don't know if it's a bad thing, but you know what I mean. It, it, it's, it's like you can't go from one extreme to the next. The question is, are you going to get cooperation in making that, that obsolescence of the old model as you transition to the new model? Well, and if you do, I mean, and I think we, we talked about this, and I also believe it comes up in, in Rob Hanfeld and Gerard Check's procurement value proposition, that if you're in a place, and you're attempting new thing, new thing, new thing, and constantly getting shut down, that's not going to change. If that organizational mindset is in place, it is what it is, and you by yourself are not going to change it. So you attempt these graduated, logical, fact-based, transition-type moves, and if the change isn't happening, then that's not the place to be in trying new stuff. And that's ultimately going to be the deciding factor, because it is safe to say that the up-and-coming generation is more comfortable in social networking. We're talking about wearable technology. We're talking about all of these other factors that are coming into the game. Uh, if they go to a place that tries to fence them in, and I think we talked, we used that. Wasn't there a section in our book called Don't Fence Me In? We did. See, there, shameless plug. Yes, the book is named Procurement at a Crossroads. This commercial brought to you by. Anyway, what's that? No, I, I only have like today. 12 cups. I only had 12 cups today. I'm feeling pretty good. Anyway, no, but re- realistically speaking, the the younger generation coming up, they're not going to put up with being confined if they don't be, believe that they're doing the best job they can or if they're being create, uh, confined artificially to what is supposed to be the best uh, path, but they know in their heart of hearts it isn't. So, I mean, that's going to change. Companies are going to have to change as the employee base shifts and people are more mobile now. Because, you know, they're not worried about losing their jobs, right? No, and there I do agree with you, especially if 
some archaic approach that's in place is preventing people from being successful against the performance metrics they've been given, no one's going to tolerate that for long. There's just no reason to. All right. So here we ran a little bit over time, which is okay. You know, I mean, it's our show. We can do what we want. Right? So we've got a conclusion here. What are we going to talk about next time? And what juicy tidbits of information are out there that you think are going to be worthwhile talking about next time? Without ending, you know, uh, either of of us in trouble. Because you always get me in trouble. Oh, I'll try to get you out of it. No, I think next time we should look at a a similar topic from the supplier standpoint. So if we're looking at procurements, perhaps increased use of social media, let's look at what suppliers are doing on the same topic. I think that would be a great idea. That makes perfect sense. Kelly, as always, it's a pleasure to share these virtual airways with you. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's an impromptu discussion. There's no scripting or whatever. I don't have any cue cards in front of me. By the way, i got to admit, I had 20 cups of coffee, but that's, you know, I lost count. <laughs> so, I'm I always enjoy it, John. Right. And by the way, our book is now ready on Amazon this time around, right? Our book, Amazon, and I saw on, on the J. Ross publisher site it's ready so people can buy and actually get it shipped out to them right yes so buy our book it's a great book i mean like we've already talked about the movie rights to it and uh brad pitt playing me in the movie (laughs) which we're all looking forward to including brad pitt thank you for joining us today And we will, of course, come back over these same virtual airwaves next month with another hot topic. I think that idea Kelly had with regards – I hope she didn't hang up. She probably got tired talking with me. Anyway, we'll come back. Maybe we'll take it from the supplier's view on on, on leveraging social media to increase uh, their uh, opportunities with buyers. But until then, I remain your host, John Hanson, on behalf of Kelly Barter. Thanks so much. Bye for now. Thank you.